When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Young Bucks Podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates Prospects Podcast of Choice. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Prugar. Corey. Let's get into the nitty gritty. It's prospect season. It's now July. Things are starting to heat up. Transactions have been up and at them, but it's been kind of slow on the prospect front for the for the most part, other than AAA and in the major leagues. Well, they called up that guy. What was his name? Neil. Neil something or O'Neill Cruz or whatever. They called him up. Yeah, Tom they Cruz's up, cousin. Yeah, they called up Bly, Bly Madrid. So what happens is. They want everybody wants them to play the kids. So now they're going to start playing the kids. So now we wonder who the next kids are. And so that's what's interesting. And Jared, it's July as well. We might need to start looking about which which kids in the or might there be some new kids in the organization, new kids on the block. Uh, if if there's some trades here at the trade deadline, if the Pirates decide to send anybody out, so that's what makes this month always interesting. Right. And I think that's the cool thing, too, is like it's not just that we want to see these guys, you know, getting to the majors, but it's sustaining that me that, that being in the majors too. guys like Bly Madris, because guys like him that, that grind and, and they get to it. And don't get me wrong. The guys that get to the majors, they've grinded and, and it takes a lot to get there and to get there and stay there, I think, is important, too. But guys like Bly Madris and a guy like Cam View, who was hung out to dry by the Pirates organization and Derek Shelton and Ben Sherrington um, the other night, I believe it was Friday night. Um, he just, he was out there for 56 pitches in the same inning. And I understand that that game was completely out of hand, um, but that was the situation that they were in, but it's guys like that getting there and staying there that I think are important. And, and guys like that, they get the call up and then who's next. Right. And, you know, in Altoona, we have the benefit of seeing guys like Jackson Winsky go straight from double a, to the major leagues and stay there. He hasn't been back since. Um, guys like Tucapita Marcano goes to the majors, doesn't come back. Um, that's great. That's it, it, it's something that I don't think is very common, but it's been prevalent this year and for good reason because those guys deserve it. Um, but a couple of the guys that I want to see uh, eventually get promoted. We talked about Burroughs. We talked about Henry Davis. Those guys have been promoted, right? But a guy that that caught that catches my eye every time that he throws is a guy that I've kind of been that I've been high on all year, but has been just he just flown under the radar because he's not O'Neill Cruz, he's not Mike Burrows, he's not those types of players. But um, 
But for me, that player is undoubtedly Luis Ortiz. And Luis Ortiz can throw 95 to 97 in his fastball. The slider is a good hard slider, late break, excellent action, excellent RPM um, as far as spin rate goes. And a good, solid changeup just based on the, the changing of velocity. A guy like that, you know, can go a long way in an organization like the Pirates. Yeah, we've gotten to see Luis uh, pitch for the Altoona curve. He can look really good. The stuff is really good. Um, and then you just kind of wonder, okay, well, what's the ceiling? You know what I'm saying? That That's where it's fascinating when we start to talk about, look, we can all talk about Quinn Priester and Mike Burroughs and Salamato and all these guys. But did, did, did we really talk much about Clay Holmes coming up in the system, Jared? We talk much about JT Brubaker. No, because we were talking about Tyler Glass now and Mitch Keller and, and all these guys. And so a guy like Ortiz, you know, could, could be one of those guys that, yeah, it flies under the radar a little bit. But when you look at the stuff, now he's got to make it work. The bottom line, mm-hmm. he's got to make it work. And he's had some ups and downs with the Altoona curve this year. You know, he could look real good one night. He's got a, he's got a 503 ERA. Well, why are you guys talking about so much with a guy with a 503 RA? Well, if you watch him pitch, he's he's better than that. He's better than the, than that that figure. Uh, and, and again, these are the guys it can be more difficult to try to project, Jared, because again, on a on, on a given night, he can look pretty good. On another night, he may not look so great, and it just kind of left scratching your head. Why can't he look like this all the time? Right, and I mean the the thing with Cruz, or I'm sorry, with Ortiz. Um, is he's still very young. He's 23. And as a pitcher, you still have a lot to to develop. He's very raw, but I think once he figures out how to become a pitcher, I think it I think that's going to be the, the the sky is the limit for him. I mean, he's got some excellent stuff. Don't get me wrong, obviously, there's a lot more than just having excellent stuff to become a pitcher. We saw Tyler Glass now, who was one of the best minor league pitchers of all time, struggle when he got to the majors. Now, different organ different regime, uh, so to speak. But guys like that, you know, those under-the-radar types of guys, like you said, JT Brubaker, um, you know, Clay Holmes even, you know, those are the guys that kind of flew under the radar because they're top, they're better prospects, maybe not necessarily better prospects, but more popular prospects. Mm-hmm. They kind of took the load off of them. They could just go out and be Luis Ortiz, uh, JT Brubaker, um, uh, Clay Holmes, or whoever, and just go out and be themselves. And that was a great thing for them. You know, you just hit on something that, has really long bothered me uh, as a minor league baseball reporter. I've done this for close to 30 years. And you said the word popular prospect. Okay. That is a fascinating thing in and of itself. If you're a high draft pick and your, your name is known by baseball America right away and they get your name out there those are, those are the guys that everybody follows, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and we just saw it this year with Mike Burroughs. Mike Burroughs was not a, a popular prospect. He was not a guy that everybody thought, okay, you know, here's a guy I can't miss kind of guy. Well, then what does Mike Burroughs do? He comes out and, and performs great. I, I, I would say that I have a problem. I think the, the system is incredibly flawed in the way prospects are ranked. Now we're trying to do something new here by doing a top 10 every week. And it's not changing much because it's, it's all looking for the future, 
but you you look at a guy like a Mike Burroughs, you look at maybe a potentially guy like like a, a Luis Ortiz, and, and you think, okay, why don't I hear more about him? Why am I hearing so much about Quinn Priester? Why am I hearing so much about Anthony Salamedo and Jared Jones? Well, okay, because they were considered better prospects. But on any given day, these under-the-radar kind of guys are, are, are guys that sometimes – Chad Cool. Chad Cool was an under – remember him in, in the minor leagues? He was not considered a guy that was going to be – you know, a star, not that he's become a star, but he's still a quality major league pitcher all these years later. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the thing that, you know, we get so enamored with top 10 lists and we have one that I think is really good and really fluid with DK Pittsburgh sports, but top 10 lists aren't the end all be all because we talk about this and this is, I'm not trying to kind of really cross over, but we talk about five-star prospects in college. We talk about top prospects at the minor league level and the major league level. And, there's just a big difference because once you get that connotation that you're a five-star, you're a four-star prospect in football, the weight of the world is on your shoulders to go out and perform to that ability. But that's such a subjective thing, right? Because it depends on who you play, who you've come up with. It's the same thing as being a top 10 prospect in baseball. Who have you played? Is your stuff good? Are you healthy? How are your mechanics? You know, then we fall in love with, the stat line, we, we fall in love with O'Neill Cruz being able to just crush a homer at, at laser-like speeds and, and rifle off the bat and, and things like that. Or, or Leo Perguero, who we'll get to talk to here in the second segment, um, doing his thing at, at defensively and, and hitting the ball. Or Mike Burroughs being able to spin his curveball over 3,000 RPMs. You know, we become enamored with that. And there's just so much more to development than that. But it's once you, again, it, it's the same thing with winning, right? Winning isn't is, is, isn't easy by any means, but it's getting there and sustaining that winning. That is the hard part. And it's the same thing with being a prospect. It's coming in and competing every day to become that, to stay that prospect because you have the weight of the world on your shoulders here. And, and sometimes that, that you, you crumble under that you have, you have this inordinate amount of stress and pressure and it builds up. And in the game with baseball, you fail 70% of the time and that's not easy to deal with mentally, no matter how, whether you, you know that. Everybody knows that in baseball. If you fail 70% of the time, you're a success. So when you're a prospect and you are highly touted and you're going through all of this and you're having you know a, a lack of success and yet you're the number one guy, it's not easy to deal with mentally. Yeah, Jared, this is really one of my favorite discussions and – uh, you mentioned college football. We both cover college football. I've, I've covered Penn State for a long time. I am not enamored with recruiting. I do not go you know, overboard with recruiting. And I think that is a good comparison because it is, a, it is such a massive jump from high school football to college football that to try to peg any guy as a can't miss kind of guy or whatever in, in foot college football. First of all, you don't know what the kid's work ethic is. Jared, you coach high school football. A lot of high school kids just get by on their natural ability and their talent. And they're just better than everybody. You get to college and everybody's, everybody's good. And, and so you just don't know. It's hard to project from one level to the next. Baseball is the hardest sport in the world. It's the, it's the hardest sport in the world to try to you know be con- consistent and go from level to level to level. And as you mentioned, the failure aspect, the psychology part of how, what am I going to be like when I fail for the first time? And, and how am I going to overcome that adversity? 
that's where when we're talking about prospects, I'm I've always been and always will be uncomfortable with putting too much focus and emphasis on a baseball prospect or a high school football recruit, because I do think they go hand in hand with regards to, man, you got to show me something at this level before I'm just going to fall in love with you and, and start talking so much about you being some kind of can't miss dude, because you know what? I've covered minor league baseball long enough to know that 60 to 70% of can't miss guys absolutely miss. Right. And that's the hardest thing too, is to project that because once you get to the professional ranks, you, I mean, yeah, you're going to be highly touted to an extent, but it's a completely different ball game. It's not college. It's not high school. It's not the Dominican league. It's not where you come from. Now it's where you're at, what you're going to do from there. Because I always say when we talk on this, on the, we are podcast and, and even on your radio show here in, in central Pennsylvania, once you get to campus, once you get to an organization, you're not who you were before. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There is a foundation there, but you've got to make the stars go away. The prospect status goes away. You got to earn it, right? It's the same for everybody. You could have that bonus and that's going to make things a little bit easier for you. But when Henry Davis comes to the Pirates organization, he is the first pick of the, of the draft, right? And, and that's great. But when he gets to play, he's just a baseball player again. He has to go out and prove himself every day. And, and that's tough, too, because you got to prove why you were that draft pick. Why were you drafted so highly? Is it your ability to receive the ball? Is it your ability to hit the ball? And it's the same thing with pitchers. Can you pitch it? Can you throw it? Kumar Rocker, right, turns down his, you know, his deal, and now he's out there throwing and, and, and doing a great job. And can he do it at this level? Maybe. But, again, you have to fall. You have to just figure it out. And that's not easy to do. When you're into when you're into it, man, and that's what's tough. It's a major challenge, and we enjoy talking about the prospects. And we've got Lee Over Pagero coming up here in just a second, and, and we'll get back into some other names here in the third segment. But this is an important segment for not that not that baseball fans don't already know this, but we live it here in the minor leagues, and all these guys that you hear everything about, Jared and I see them actually fail. Okay. We, yeah, we see them succeed, but we see them fail, and we, we have to watch how they bounce back from it because that is a huge part of this entire component. Right. The mental aspect, I think, is the one that's the least talked about in, all of, in really life, especially with men, um, because, you know, you, you deal with failure every day. And that's not just in baseball, but that's in life. You know, things aren't always going to go your way, and that's okay. But in baseball, again, you have to deal with, Failure 70% of the time. Whereas when you're in college, you're probably failing 50 to 60%, right? In high school, you're failing 30 to 40%. So when you come in and then you're failing 80%, 90% of the time, it's not easy to deal with because you've not done that yet. And in any conversation I've had with college and professional coaches, they want to see you fail. They want to see what what you're like with your back against the wall. Yeah, And it's so hard to project that. Because these top prospects are projections, right? We don't know if you're going to be Royanzi Contreras and go out and just throw the ball. Like we think that you can do it, but you got to be able to go out and, and, and execute and, and do it. You know, Henry Davis can hit the ball a long way. Can he do it in a game? Can he stay healthy? Mike Burroughs can go out and spin the ball. Can he continuously do that? And can he do it at the major league level? I think the best thing about Cam View's performance, to go back to that from over the over the course of the weekend. 
he didn't want to be taken out because he wanted to prove that he could get out of that jam. He proved that he want, he proved wanted to prove to himself that he could handle that adversity. And when you are able to focus on that adversity and, and deal with it, that is going to speak volumes to not only your character as a human being, but also your ability to deal with it and move on from it and deal with that adversity as an athlete, because it is not an easy thing to do. I want to save cam view for our third segment. I want to talk about that a little bit and why it was such a problem the 56 pitches, and we'll look at it a little bit from the minor league perspective. But just in closing up this segment, you know how you're scrolling through Facebook and all these kinds of different things come up, some you're interested in, some you're not. I saw a comment yesterday, I think it was, from some college baseball coach, and it was really good. It's exactly what you were talking about, Jared. It was uh, he's had something to do with the effect of, we watch guys when they fail and how they react. Because And the, and the quote, again, I don't remember which coach it was, but he's said something effective. If we're recruiting you to this level, we know you can succeed, but we want to see what you're like, what your reactions are like when you're struggling and, and, and you're, and the world is still watching you at that point. I talk about that with my kids do the right thing at all times. Even if nobody else is watching you mm-hmm. still try to do the right thing. And I do think that is a key part of, of developing in baseball specifically is, Hey, when you strike out, body language do you put your head down do you throw something do you throw your helmet do you throw your bat or do you treat it you go about your business and realize hey i'm going to get out sometimes and because the, the higher up you go you're going to get out a lot you're going to get out as you mentioned 70 percent of the time and that's a that's the thing I, I i always talked about when i was a middle school baseball coach and, and even as a little league coach you're going to fail that's de- that's a definite you're going to fail in life you're going to fail in the game of baseball you're going to fail and relationships and friendships and everything, but it's not about the failure. That's going to happen. That's natural. That it's okay to fail. It's how you handled that failure. It's do you bounce back? Do you come back and give it your all? Even with failing when you, when you were still giving it your all and, and doing that, can you handle that? Can you come overcome that adversity, make yourself better? And that's what being a minor leaguer is all about. And I think that's the important thing too, is, you're going to fail. That's, you know, you can't avoid that. And that's life. That's relationships. That's everything. It's how you overcome that adversity, how you overcome that failure that not only makes you the prospect that you are, but also the human being that you are. And I think that speaks volumes to, to a lot of things in in a multitude of different organizations, but you have to be able to fail and you have to be able to handle it and overcome it and, and get better and learn from it as well. But to, to wrap up this first segment, um, you know, again, prospects, the rankings, they are a crapshoot and the projections, sometimes they don't always work out. You know, there have been a lot of highly touted guys, John Bambage, Goten, uh, to, to name one off the top of my head that seemingly had the world at their, at their peril and just weren't able to get the job done. Yeah. You just never know. That's what, that's what minor league baseball is for. Uh, Jared caught up with the over Pagero. We'll let you hear from him next. And, We're going to have a nice cam view and pitch count conversation coming up here in the third segment as well. Welcome back to the Young Bucks Podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio Network. I'm here with Leo Guerrero. Leo, you were 
called up to to majors. What experience was that like? What was that like when you got that call? Oh man, it was it was so like out of nowhere thing. It was so it was so great. I, at first, I didn't believe it. It took me a little bit to you know process that and I uh, kind of like believe it just to say it like that. But it was it was pretty amazing. It was really unexpected, but it was amazing. Like that's the only word I have right now to describe it. So when you think of it, and you thought it was a joke. So how did you like react? So it was Kyron that told you, or yeah, yeah, he told me uh, right after practice how I got in. I was gonna take a shower, and he was like, "Hey, come here, we need to talk." And I, I got really scared, you know. And I was like, "Oh, what did I do so wrong? Like, what did I do?" And he just ripped right up this, "Hey, you're going to Pittsburgh right now." I'm like. Don't play with my life, man, right now. Like, please don't joke around like that. He was like, yeah, you want to pitch for it? Like, hey, make sure you pack over all of your stuff. Uh, you got to be on your way right now. And like I said, it was, it was crazy. I still can't believe it that I, that already happened, man. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they, they gave you that call right after batting practice, right after pregame work. So you had to immediately leave and, and head to Pittsburgh. So what was that? Like, what went through your mind during that trip? Oh, I feel like the time was going so slow because I wanted to be there so bad. So I feel like the minutes were taking forever to go by. And I, I don't know, I was really nervous while I was driving, but I, I was trying to stay under control and drive normal. But I was so nervous while I was on the way. If you would have got a speeding ticket, how would you try to get out of it? Like, I'm on the road to the show. Like, I would have I would have told them, hey, like, do you know what's seeing your dream come true. Like, well, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm on my way to Pittsburgh. I just got the call up, and I am so sorry. You can give me my ticket later. <laughs> so you get to the ballpark, and you walk into that clubhouse. Tell me what your emotions were like. Uh, the first thing I did when I got there was uh, I want to, I just dropped a tear as soon as I walked in. I was like, man, this is happening. Like, I just can't believe it. That was really amazing to see that big door and that big, big clubhouse, and just see my my name on it. You know, it's pretty crazy and really, really um, unbelievable. Had you been to PNC Park before that moment? Uh, no, I did not. I mean, I, yes, I did. I went there once just to um, have some practice, but other than that, I haven't. You walk up and you were you got there in the middle of the game, correct? Yes, I was. Uh, right before the beginning, so it was like five minutes before the first pitch. So you get there and you walk up on the, the, those dugout steps, you see the skyline, you see everything. What was that like for you? It was unbelievable. Like, I have no words to describe that. And also, like, the feeling I have on the moment, but it was so amazing. Like, just seeing the things that you've been dreaming about, like, happening, it's just unbelievable and hard hard to describe what was your welcome to the show moment what was like okay i've actually made it now um at first like i said i didn't even believe it even when i was there like i kind of realized that i was in the show like right after the game i was like wait a minute like this is for real like i'm here and i don't know i wasn't i wasn't like i, I feel like i was flying the whole game like i was like Am I here for real? Like I was just not believing that. So, so then you play a couple games. You get a couple games in your belt. Is there a, a moment where you're on base and you're like, 
I've made it. I, I have my dreams have have come true. But the, like that, the surreality of that moment. It, is, were there were there moments like that for you? Uh, yes, it was right. I got my first base hit. I was like, damn, like I just really had my first base hit in the bigs. Like, I just want to cry right now, but I did it. Uh, thank goodness I did it. I was going to. Uh, I didn't want to be dramatic, you know. But um, it was it was such a great moment, and oh my god. I remember I was I was about to tear up. It was so crazy to experience that. What did you do with the ball? Um, I have it on my apartment right now. It's sitting by my my trophy. I got a trophy from back home that I have it. Um, whenever I think about home, you know, I just grab it and whatever. But yeah, I have it right in my room, right in front of my bed. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd be waking up and looking at that every day. I would be too, to be perfectly honest with you. Now, you get there, you, you talk to Derek Shelton, and you talk to the guys that have been around the team, and, and some of them you, got, you were teammates with at the beginning of the season. What was that like to kind of reconnect with them and, and be able to experience that with them? It was a really special moment, you know, like being with, with those people at the beginning of the year here in the way, and then just like a couple months later, just like have that kind of moment in the bigs. It's, it's really um, amazing and like... It made me feel really comfortable when I got there because at first I was really nervous, but then I saw Sawinski, um, I saw um, Kanan and Jigba, and it was really, really good to see them, you know, the people that you already have a relationship with, you know? So it makes you feel really um, comfortable, really, like, comfy in the moment, you know? Now, were there any guys like that that might have been, like, that took you aside and like, hey, this is what is expected of you? as a major leaguer now? Because there's a big difference between being a minor leaguer and being a major leaguer, bigger expectations and all of that. Was there anybody that, was there anybody that helped you kind of process that or, or helped you along the way when you were up there? Um, no, not really. They they were just letting me uh, be me, you know, just be free, enjoy the moment and all that. But not that I remember. They were just like telling me the whole time, like, hey, enjoy the moment, enjoy this, because this only happened once, you know? And now, what were some of your conversations with Derek Shelton like? Because obviously you get caught up in, in what seems like a really emergency role. And you get there, and you barely have time to introduce yourselves, and the game's already started. So what was that like, and, and what were some of the things that he told you as far as being in that moment and, and being in the majors? Um, I remember when I got there, he just shaked my hand, and he was like, you did it. And I just looked at him like, like I said, like I just wanted to cry, and I was like, yes, I did. And then during game, during the game, we were just talking about um, some plays that were um, happening. Like he was teaching me a couple of stuff and trying to explain me. And yeah, that that was that was that was really it. Like it wasn't a lot of things going on by the moment. Now, I mean, obviously on paper, being a major league and being a minor league are much different. But what was the biggest difference that you saw once you got to the show, and compared to what you experienced day to day with with the curve? Um, I would say it's like the way that they um, handle stuff, you know, like hard moments and all that. Um, I would say that that's one of the biggest things that I saw over there. Like everybody takes their own time. Like they know how to put things under control and all that. So I feel like that's one of the biggest difference between here and there, you know. And how has that experience kind of changed the way that you maybe view the game or play the game uh, now that you're back here in Altoona? Um, I will say that, I, like, I still try to uh, stick with it, you know, kind of, like, bring that thing down here and um, and see, like, how it is. And I feel like it's really different. It's just a lot different. 
Uh, also, because we had we have a time here, you know, like we have enough time to like reset button and stuff like that. But um, like I said, like it's it's such a big difference. Like it's it's just it's just crazy, man. Like when I think about it, like I just even now, like I still can't believe I did it. Right now, so having that experience and, and being back here in this clubhouse with your teammates here. Does that kind of, maybe they come to you and ask you for advice, what was that like? How do I get there and that sort of stuff or? Uh, no, not really, uh, because I think that everybody has the same goal. So I feel like they, they know what they need to do. And that's one of the greatest things that we have here in the clubhouse. Like everybody knows what they need to do to uh, have their own type of way to get up there, you know? Now, what do you have to do to get back up there and, and to stay there? Because you proved that you can play at that level. It's just sustaining that success. What do you have to do to get back to, to there and, and to get make those dreams come true again? Um, I would say uh, probably um, simplize things and just focus on the little details. And I think that that will um, help me a lot to uh, come back up there and stay for as long as I can stay. Very good. So now, what are your expectations, your goals for yourself for the rest of the season, um, no matter where you're at, whether you're in Altoona, in AAA, or, or even back with the big league team? Um, I don't think I have like those like type of things, because I feel like anywhere you play or anywhere you go, I feel like you're still having the same goal, and it's just give you 100% every day. So yeah, I, I feel like it don't matter where I'm at, like my goals still the same, like just play hard and enjoy the game anywhere I go and everywhere I go. Awesome. Thank you for everything. Thank, Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Young Bucks podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates prospects podcast of choice. Corey, first of all, we want to thank Leo Verpiguero to talk about his uh, his call to the majors, what that was like, the emotions and all of that. I think that was probably one of the most meaningful interviews that I've ever done. And being able to talk to him in the in the curve dugout uh, prior to Saturday or prior to Sunday's game. Um, you can just see the emotion behind what he was saying. And, and I know that, you know, you can't really see that through the, through the audio, but just the way that he was beaming, his eyes were wide and just recalling those moments that meant so much to him. And in, in that process um, was a really cool experience. And another guy that was called up, you know, recently was Camp View. We talked about him briefly in the first segment. Um, Camp View uh, had a rough, rough go of it. Uh, Friday night, the Pirates got thumped 17 to one. I think, you know, it took at least 24 hours for the Brewers to stop scoring on them. And in that was a 56 pitch inning from Cam View. Typically, there are pitchers in the minor leagues that don't even sniff 56 pitches in an entire outing. To put that in perspective, Luis Ortiz, that we mentioned in the first segment on Sunday, threw 61 pitches in four, four innings. Okay, Jared, here's the problem. Okay. The Pirates lost credibility. Oh, now let's explain what we're talking about here. Okay, is it gonna is a guy's arm gonna fall off at fifty six pitches? No, I mean it can it can create health issues. It certainly it can create, but 
the Pirates at the minor league level, if if you throw more than 30, 32, 33 pitches in an inning, you get pulled immediately. They, they'll 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 bring and it's been that way for a number of years. Why? Because they've got their scientific uh, measures of what happens to an arm after 30, 32, 33 pitches. They they under they know the the physiology and and the impact of all that. So if you're going to do that and you're going to establish that that's how you're going to do things in your organization, then guys get to the big leagues and yes, they do have some more leeway. What happens is. Did, did what was it the so-called pitcher abuse for Cam uh, Cam View? Yes, I do think it was, but it, it also showed that you don't give a damn about your players. That's the problem to me. That's the problem. If you're going to send a message to everybody in your organization that this is how we're going to treat you, and you you throw 30, 35 pitches, you're going to get pulled, and and now you do this, and we're going to, all it takes is for one f up, for all of that training to go out the window jared all these pirates people and ben charrington and Derek shelton and all the minor league people they can tell everybody what they want of how they want to go about things you do what you do to cam view you send the message that nothing that we're telling you matters one bit if 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 the crazy situation arises that to me was the biggest issue the Pirates faced in the Camview situation is basically they got called on their shit as a bunch of frauds. That's to me the issue. Yeah, and there are so many different, you know, levels to what went on Friday night in Pittsburgh, right? You know, obviously the 56 pitches is not is not good in an inning, clearly. Obviously you want to hope you hope that things get better than that. And that's the goal. Right. So, so there it's twofold, right? Ben Sherrington took blame for it when he spoke to the media on Saturday saying the team shouldn't have been in that position, yada, 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 whatever. Derek Shelton, you know, obviously communicates to camp view that he's the last line of defense in that bullpen. And when you're down 17 to one, or you're down nine to one or eight to one, they gave up a touchdown in the second inning. So, you know, anytime that you're a baseball team and giving up seven point seven runs, um, you know, there's there's much better defense on the North Shore um, than that. And, you know, Ronzi Contreras didn't have a good game. So, you know, the bullpen has to wear it. And when the bullpen has to wear it and it's already taxed and you got Will Crow who's struggling, David Bednar, who's not healthy. You know, that's a lot of wear and tear for a guy that can't view. So he goes out and he has to wear it. Obviously, the goal wasn't to get out of there in 56 pitches. He wanted to do it sooner. But, you know, sometimes that just doesn't happen. And, you know, in that situation, when you're the last line of defense, and this is not defending Derek Shelton or Ben Sherrington, but this is just kind of explaining the situation here. You can't pull a, a bullpen pitcher for a position player. That is almost as bad as, you know, trading a player for a box of baseballs or a couple bats. Especially, and, well, look, we talked a couple weeks ago on Cam View as one of the grinders on this podcast. Didn't make it till he was 28. Had to withstand the embarrassment of going up to AAA then getting demoted back to double A and then having to fight. You make a good point. You pull that guy for a, a relief uh, for a position player that looks bad. Okay. But still uh, you've got to, you've got to be thinking better. You've got to have a better thought process going into it uh, and, and knowing who's going to be available. Uh, and maybe you do have to embarrass the kid. Maybe you do have to embarrass the kid because I will, I will say this. I do believe that the Pirates did what they, they, they succumbed to public pressure in keeping Cam View in the big leagues. I, I believe that. 
because if they would have demoted Cam View after what they had put him through, uh, the crap storm they would have taken, it would have been humiliating for all of them. Because let's be honest, Jared, the right baseball move, the right personnel decision, and I hate to say this, would have been to demote Cam View, would it not? Yeah, I mean, we've seen that. We've seen that hundreds of times. A guy pitches so much, he can't help you for three or four days. You got to send him back down to the minors. That is standard protocol in, in, in big league baseball. Right. And the benefit that they had on that night is the fact that Aaron Fletcher did the same thing. You know, he goes out and throws. He's not going to be able to throw for a day or two. So you can do the same thing to him. And maybe there were some options there, you know, and, 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 Take that for what you will. The good news is for Camp View, he's a lefty, and they need lefties in the bullpen. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the, the baseball move there is to probably send Camp View down or an Aaron Fletcher, and that's what. And they went with the Fletcher route. Now, I don't know how long Camp View is going to to not pitch. Um, you would hope that you know you, the Pirates do have the benefit of the off day on Monday, so he'll be able to throw again on Tuesday, or maybe Wednesday. But pitchers should be built up to withstand sixty. 70 pitches. That's not true, man. That's not true. Well, that's I, why I, I said just, should be. Yeah, they, they should, should be, be, but they're right. not. Right. They're because, not, they're not anymore the because benefit, they're all babied. The benefit of Camview is the fact that he was, in fact, a starter at one point in time. Mm-hmm. So he's used to going a little bit longer and, and getting those guys stretched out. And but see, see what this. we're talking about here, you're a former pitcher and you, you, you pitched. I'm an old man. I grew up where guys would throw 150 pitches. What we're talking about here is, is – our old school philosophy of mm-hmm. pitchers should be able to do this. Well, hell yeah, they should. A pitcher should be able to throw 56 pitches and not be the end of the world. Okay, but if that's the, in an inning, but if that's the case, why are we get pulling guys mm-hmm. with no hitters with 85 pitches? You see what I'm saying? Right, why are absolutely. we, why are we pull, That's where baseball, the, where baseball is in 2022. And as it converged with the Pirates and Cam View with 56 pitches in one inning, it is it, it, it sets up this giant battle of what is baseball because sh- should a pitcher be able to do that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes, but that's not what they think pitchers can. They'll, they'll all tell you that they can't when they're mm-hmm. pulling pitchers at 80 and 85 innings or 80 and 85 pitches after five or six innings. You see what I'm getting at? So they're contradicting themselves. And that's where the pirates lost the credibility. I'll go back to what I said earlier. You can, you can preach all of this to every pitcher you've got. As soon as you do this one time, every pitcher you've got had now has the right to look at you and say, you're a liar. Mm-hmm. And the issue too here. Is this is why, like in, in youth sports especially, they put an, an emphasis on innings limits, right? Well, if you saw the the, the altitude curve box score or line score or the play by play from Sunday, you would understand this completely. And I think this kind of ties in together, right? Can't view through fifty six pitches in an inning, right? It's not about the innings for pitchers; it's about the pitches. And the and and what's going on there, you know, because, you know, for, for the altitude curve, let's talk about this for, for a second while we're talking about camp view Sunday, July 3rd, they had a game that lasted an, an hour and 57 minutes benefited, of course, by the pitch clock. But the offenses both did the same, did, the, did their uh, help as well. There were 10 at bats in the game that were one pitch. 
10 at bats that were one pitch. And, you know, when you look at that, that's wild, right? And there are 64 total at bats. 21 of them were five pitches or more, none more than seven pitches. 34 of those at bats ended up being 33 pitches or less. And like I said, 10 one pitch at bats. And, you know, that to me shows that it's not the innings count that matters. It's the, you know, what the, what the leverage is and, and the pitches yes. and the pitch counts that matter. Right. Because, you know, if the bases are loaded, there's going to be a little bit more emphasis on, on the arm uh, because you're probably going to, human nature is to try to do too much in that situation. Well, so with, and, and to tie this in with camp view, it's not about the innings. That was one inning that he went out and did that. So, you know, you can talk about innings limits or all this, all, all that you want, but it's about the amount of pitches that he throws and that's what matters the most. And I think that's where they, where your, your hands are tied for Derek Shelton. And he says he lost sleep over and And I don't disagree. I mean, I would have lost sleep over that and losing by 17 runs, but at the same time, you know, you got to take care of those arms. And if they're not built up for that, that's not a good situation to be in. Here's the smartest thing I, I maybe have, have heard in, all the time I've ever covered minor league baseball. And this is thousands of interviews. This is Bruce Tanner, uh, Chuck Tanner's son. He was on our podcast, The Memory Lane, a few weeks ago. Uh, He told me this 20 years ago when he was pitching coach for the Altoona Curve, Jared. He said, in the minor leagues, all right, double A, even triple A, you got three, four, five easy outs in a lineup. You, You just do. You've got three, four, five good hitters. And then you've got three or four or five easy outs that you know the pitcher doesn't have to uh, – he's not in high-leverage situations, and he can kind of coast through those at-bats. And so a pitch count in the minor leagues doesn't really matter as much because how many of those pitches are in difficult situations and to difficult hitters? But you get to the big leagues, every pitch matters. Every batter is good. Every hitter, every situation is is tough because you're you're facing a, there are no easy outs again theoretically in in a big league lineup and so if you think that through it's really really interesting and Cam View is new to the big leagues he's never had to pitch where every single pitch was going to a big league hitter that could get rocked so the point is I, I do think this is a distinction that everybody listening to this you, you probably maybe you guys watch a lot of minor league baseball maybe you don't but I, that that uh, Thing has always stuck with me that Bruce Tanner said, and you watch any minor league game and you think, okay, yeah, they're three, four, five easy outs. These pitchers, they don't even have to worry about three or four of these hitters. They can throw that. It's a piece of cake for the most part. Once you get to the big leagues, that's why pitch counts. Every single pitch matters in the big leagues. Right. And, and rightfully so. Right. And, you know, in, in that curve game Saturday, or I'm sorry, on Sunday, all the run, all the days run together on holiday weekend. But you just kind of look at that, that clock and the, and the pitch clock helps, right? But when you're not going deep into counts, like I said, n- no pitch went, no count went deeper than seven pitches. And when you're able to do that, again, it, it just disproves that the innings matter. And at the major league level, everything matters. Every pitch, every grip, every movement matters because that's what keeps you there. And I think that's important to, to keep in mind as well. Now, luckily for Cam View, he's still up there, you know, and and up until that point, I think he had done an okay job at getting guys out in the major league le- at the major league level. Okay, but here's the thing. When you but, make an error, if I hit a ball to you at shortstop and you bobble it, okay, 
And this is going to be the anti-cam view thing here a little mm-hmm. bit, just so fans understand. I had a bottle of you at shortstop, and you bobble it. You've made an error. You got you to gotta start over right there and make the best decision right there, right? Don't throw it wildly to first base because now you've compounded the problem mm-hmm. with an error. The right move would have been to send Cam View down. I, I'm, I'm going to go back to that. They didn't do it because they would have looked like shit. They would have looked horrible. They already looked bad by having him throw 56 pitches. Then if you send him down the next day, that looks horrible. And, and I'm glad they didn't, and it's good for Cam View. But if you follow my line of thinking, they should have. Okay? They compounded their error because they didn't want to get humiliated even more. Do you follow what I'm saying? Do you see the connection that I'm making here? Once Cam View got hammered like that, the right baseball move for your organization is to send him down to get somebody else that can pitch for you. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do that. And, and, and again, I'm glad they didn't. I'm just pointing out the fact that they should have and they compounded their own problem. They blew it on one night, and then they blew it with the transaction the next day. Yeah, and you know that's the other thing too, is not only does that happen, and then you know on Sunday, Dwayne Underwood comes up from the COVID list. Um, Bryce Wilson goes back to AAA. He just pitched yesterday or pitched on Saturday. Yuri De Los Santos ends up on the COVID IL. You know, so th- there's a little bit of roster management there as well. But again, it's just one of those situations where you feel for the kid, uh, but obviously he's glad that he went through it. And I think that speaks volumes to the character. See, I don't do. know about I, this is this is where we he's not glad he went through it. There's no way he's glad. No, he of got course, out. you want to as a pitcher, you want to get guys out. And, yeah, and he, he's glad everybody he has humiliated. a humiliated. He's right. glad he didn't get humiliated by getting pulled for position player. That's right. And he's glad he's still getting major league pay. And I'm glad he's still getting major league pay. But what I'm telling you is and I, I think I saw this in some of the comments here uh, uh, on, on maybe Alex's story. What is Cam View going to say? Right. What is he going to say? They blew it. They screwed me. You think a 28 year old guy that just been waiting all this time to get to the big leagues is going to come out and rip the people that got him there, even though they screwed him over. This is my problem with sports is he can't be honest. He can't be honest. And yet you, it was good that what McCutcheon said, I'd like to see some other pitchers around baseball, a veteran like a Max Scherzer or a, a Clayton Kershaw. I'd like to see somebody else come out and rip the pirates for doing it because Cam View can't. See, you, you made a point. You know, he's glad he went through. No, he's not. He's glad he's getting paid. He's glad he's in the big leagues. He should not have had to go through that. And no, quite frankly, not. I wish he had the ability to come flat out and say they shouldn't have done it to me. But that's that's a thing we get into a lot in sports of how much are you ever going to hear the complete truth from a player or a coach? Because if Cam View was, be, was to be honest, he would probably say, hell no, they shouldn't have put me through that. No, right. And and everybody's hands were kind of tied, too. And I think that's the unfortunate thing as well. Yeah. But again, to, going back to what we talked about in the first segment, it's not that you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Things aren't always going to go your way, but it's how you handle it. And he yeah. said, Cam View has said all the right things, right? He's done all the right things. And I'm very excited to see him hopefully get another chance here really soon to get back on the mound and prove that that was just a fluke. That was a one-time thing. Don't get me wrong. He just, he was just missing. I was able to watch some of the game. He was just missing. And, and you know what? The Brewers scored 19 runs for a reason and they were on fire. Everything was dialed in for them, but sometimes you just have to keep your cap as a pitcher. You know, you don't, you want to get out of there in like three pitches and you just want to be done with it and get out you know, your way. But at the end of the day, that doesn't always happen. And you have to, you have to fight through the good and the bad. And again, 
overcoming that adversity to live to see another day. He got them to the next inning and then Josh Van Meter came in and pitched. And whenever you have a position player pitching, it's not good for the brand. It's not good for baseball. Um, but that's an argument for another day. But well, the, these are these are interesting discussions simply because I'd like to hear Cam View speak honestly. Now he he might come out and say I sucked and it was my job to get him out, but I'd like to hear some other people that are that do not have a a a, 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 a stake in the whole thing come out and say something because that's where you need the players union. That's where you need other pitchers to stand up for a young guy like that, who simply there's no way he could say anything and be critical of his bosses. Right. I mean, there's, it, it's a lose lose situation for everybody because Derek Sheldon looks like an idiot for, for what he has done. Ben Sherrington looks like an idiot for putting them in that position uh, with the way the yep. roster was managed and, and can you just isn't able to have success. And when you're put in a situation like that, it, it's, it's really tough, but Again, you know, that's kind of the that's that's baseball, though. You have to be, you know, you have to be willing and able to handle every situation thrown at you. And some are going to be good. Some are going to be great. Some are going to be historically awful, just like that was. And, you know, again, just got to deal with it. And hopefully he, he can overcome that and and, you know, live to see another day on the mound. Well, these are good discussions. And Jared and I were talking, you know, how much do we want to talk about individual prospects and things like I want to we want to get into issues here. We want to get into topics and and important things as opposed to just what this pitcher or that pitcher is doing. So I hope folks enjoy this kind of discussion because we are talking about jobs and lives here at stake. We're 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 we can all look at this like, well, this pitcher, that pitcher, call this guy up. Why isn't he in the top 10? These are jobs. These are careers. These are lives, and there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in minor league baseball and in baseball in general that make you shake your head and wonder why is this guy getting every opportunity in the world and this guy's not, you know. And and this is this is just something I'm passionate about because I'm always for um, every player getting getting whatever opportunities he's de- he deserves because I've seen a lot of guys over the years, Jared, that have deserved opportunities but because they weren't the high draft pick or they weren't as well-liked as somebody else, they don't get the opportunity. Right. It's not always the best prospect. It's sometimes the most popular that gets, you know, the, all the glory when, again, talking back, talking about our underrated guys, Yep. you know, it's just one of those things. And that's, that's, that's life. It's not always the best fit. It's sometimes the popular fit. And sometimes those fits aren't very great. But, you know, what's popular isn't always right. What's right isn't always popular, I think, is the, is the famous saying. But what would be popular for our fans and, our, and the people listening is if we finally wrap this show up um, so that they can get on with their day. They're, you know, July 5th um, and the rest of their day after celebrating a holiday weekend. So for Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Pruger on the Young Bucks Podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates prospect podcast of choice on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We'll set you guys all again next week. <laughs>